All right, to dispel the rumors, my car is running now. I did have a problem this morning with the battery was dead, but it is working now. So I appreciate all the concern, especially from Larry. He's been very quiet, but smiling the whole time. God is good. He knows how to humble us. Those that he loves, he humbles. <laughs> Let's uh, we're taking our Bibles and turn to the New Testament to Titus. We're in chapter two, and uh, we'll be finishing up this little section of ten verses. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this time, and thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness to us. I pray that you will be pleased to open your word and open our hearts to your word today, and that you will use this study and the conclusion of these verses in our lives, that Jesus Christ would be exalted. Thank you so much for your goodness to us, for loving us and caring for us, and for meeting us here today. Pray that you would meet us at the point of our needs, and I pray this in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen. Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, all writing to Titus says, but as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. That little statement there things that are fitting for sound doctrine kind of aims us in the direction of all these things we're going to be looking at. These are descriptions of things that fit into the category of sound doctrine that should mark believers' lives and should characterize us. And so he talks about, he introduces it there. And then as we look in the verses, it talks about likewise this and likewise that, but it all goes back to that, that, initial passion that these are things that are fitting for healthy or sound doctrine. He, he takes the group of people that he's addressing and he divides them into four groups. The first group there in verse two is the group of older men. They are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. And that uh, remember that when you start talking about doing things in love as a believer, you're always talking about the aspect of the influence of the Holy Spirit. Love is one of those fruit of the Holy Spirit that is produced in the life of the believer. So as he talks about being sound in faith and love, that means that the Spirit is going to be working in their lives and in perseverance, the endurance that is necessary. So that's one of the interesting aspects of older men, that that might be one of the things that might be a tendency as you get older to take your foot off the gas, maybe back up a little bit. And so he's just stressing that with older men. He talks about older women as well. Likewise, uh, they are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips or enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good. Um, it evidently is the problem of gossiping sometimes that might be more characterized by older women than others, and so he talks about that, and that is another area in life that speaks of bringing this physical existence and this relationship that we have, our physical passions, under the control of the Spirit of God as we seek to follow the Lord, that he is the one that we want to follow. He says for these um, 
older women to stimulate younger women and another group he's introducing to love their husbands and love their children, be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Here again, uh, this, this third group, uh, he tells us to bring, tells them to bring, be in submission to their husbands, to be workers at home. These are things that perhaps uh, some of you, us, maybe you or others may feel that this is a limitation or a harsh uh, standard that God has given to us. But Pete mentioned this morning, I thought it was a very good uh, mention, that the Lord Jesus does not call any of us to do something that he has not first done and done in a per perfect manner and in a way that really glorifies God. These are things that, uh, these are aspects that we are to follow and to put these into our lives and so he talks about that. When we look at the fourth group, young men, young men would be sensible in all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds. Um, that idea of showing yourself to be an example means that uh, young men, he's telling you and telling us that our life is a model that's on display and that people look at us and see the example of our lives and that is to be an example that's reflected to the Lord, to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say to us, so that our lives are on display, and that we, we do not want to give the enemies, which the enemy, which is always working to discredit us and bring reproach against the Lord's name. We don't want to give ammunition to the enemy in that. And so that the whole picture here is we're not living for ourselves. We're living as unto the Lord, and that we are seeking to serve him and please him. We come to, to um, verse 9, uh, which is the, the text that we are finishing up today, dealing with bond slaves. He says, urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. Here another group and it really is not it's not quite the same thing the first group were divided into age, the groups of age older men older women younger women uh, young, young women and young men now he goes into the group of talking about bond slaves and of all the and i don't I honestly don't know for sure the reason my speculation is that here is a group that if there is any group that maybe would have a right to question the Lord asking us to sacrifice, asking us to submit, asking us to, to uh, surrender what we might call our rights and deny ourselves some special privileges. It would be this extreme service of being a slave. Because being a slave is a person that is owned by another person. And their life is given over to serving somebody else. And that's what bond slaves are. And he's telling bond slaves here to be in subject or be subject to their own masters and everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. Remember that all of these have been perfected by our Savior, and he's call, calling us to really put Christ first and seek to serve him and to follow him. This is a 
this is a heavy calling. We were talking this morning about Nicodemus, and Pete mentioned, and I'm anxious to hear what John has to say, but he mentioned Nicodemus, that he paid a real price for his coming to, his following after, and his obedience to Jesus Christ. He paid a price, and that was a very significant price. And actually, that's the case with all of us. If we come to Christ, Christ, the Lord in Luke 14, I, I often refer to Luke 14 disciple, the Lord is telling us if we want to be his disciple, we can't be his disciple if we don't put him before wife, mother, sister, brother, aunt, uncle, whatever, and even our own life also. That's a price. That's a commitment. And uh, it's not an easy commitment, and it sometimes brings some hardship. But it's worth it because his call is right. It's the right thing. It's the best thing. And so here we're looking at these bond slaves, these uh, individuals that are, you might say, the bottom of the social ladder. And in that, in that we talked about, began this last time, talking about a little bit about the fact that, that slaves are, were the major part of the Roman economy, that there were a lot of slaves. And the slaves, a lot of them were really treated badly. A slave was because he was simply property, could be mistreated. Uh, even killed, and uh, there was, nobody could question it. Really, there was a there was just a terrible situation. The gospel is what has liberated slavery, by the way. And so here are these these uh, this class of people that are at the bottom, if you will, of the ladder insofar as having rights for their own. They are those that are whose life is given over to serving other people, and it's these people that the Lord says to us in this text. Slaves, be subject to your own masters in everything. This is a call of the gospel, a call of the Lord Jesus to the lives of slaves. And in this context, as we're talking about submission to all of us, to be in submission to those authorities that are over us. And there, all of us have areas of authority, areas in which we submit to other people. None of us, are, we may not like it, but none of us are, go through life without having to submit to some people, to some authorities that are placed by God over us. And so we know this is true. And so this is, this is in truth, this is reality for us. And so he talks about here, and as we look at these four groups, older women, uh, older men, older women, young women, young men, um, the obedience that he's calling for, like for example, the obedience uh, to encourage others to live godly lives, the, the obedience so that the word of God would not be spoken lightly of, the obedience so that those that are opposed to Christ will not will be ashamed of their own rebellion, obedience so that the person the work of Christ will be exalted. All of those are ramifications that come out of this verse when he's calling older women, older men, young women, young men to obey. These are some of the things that come out of that, that Christ is exalted, his word is exalted, and it is intended to produce glory to the Lord's name. So let's look at these bond servants real quick, and we'll finish this up. We're, we have enough time to do that. He starts out by urging bond slaves to be subject to their own masters and everything. Word there, hupotasso, uh, is a word that's military term that means to rank yourself beneath someone else. Um, and he's telling slaves here, to rank themselves beneath those that are over them, their masters. Rank yourself under those who own you. Do it for the Lord's sake. That's a heavy calling. That's a hard calling. And yet that's what he's saying. 
he uses the term there, masters, to, to be subject to your own masters. A despotase is the word from which we get the word despot, which is a ruler who has absolute power. And he's selling bond slaves or telling slaves, doulos is the word, telling slaves to rank yourself under this despot that God in his providence has put over you. And to do it with the attitude of pleasing the Savior. Which really and truly, I understand, and I know you do too, that it's not easy to say that. It's not easy to submit to those, especially if they're somewhat unreasonable or making extreme demands on our lives. It's not pleasant to submit to them. But if the Lord Jesus, who gave himself for us, is calling us to do that, it is a privilege to obey him, even if it costs us something. He talks about, blessed are you when men say all kind of evil uh, against you, manner of evil, and they say things that are falsely uh, false about you for my sake. You're privileged. That is an honor to, to, to suffer that for the Savior. And that can happen. And uh, it does happen. And uh, we, are, we are called to follow him and to put him first. And that submission to that suffering at times and that um, surrender to his will over us even in difficult times is a submission that gets people's attention and exalts the lord that we serve and that's really the important thing and so this is this is this is important this is really important um we are as slaves throughout the scriptures doulos we are called to be in subservient to and masters for example i was thinking of ephesians 6 um which says slaves this is just a few verses that talk about how slaves are to be in submission slaves be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and in sincerity of your heart, both as to Christ. And so here's our submission to the masters that are over us, and we do it as to Christ. And of course, that's not only just slaves being submission to the masters, but in that context, it would also be uh, employees in submission to the employee or employer. There would be uh, those of us in submission to the government, to the police, to those that he's placed over us, we submit and we submit as unto Christ, not as by way of eye service, as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ. Bible calls us slaves of Christ. Bible, in fact, over and again, Paul opens many of his, his uh, letters by saying, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, which is actually just saying Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ, the same thing, the word doulos. And Paul is saying that I am his property. I belong to him. He takes care of his own body. Amen. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. In Colossians, another passage, slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters in all things on earth, not with external service as those who are merely pleasing men, but with sincerity of heart. That's sometimes hard to obey with sincerity of heart. Christ can help us with that with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily 
as to the Lord, rather than simply for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive your reward. Is that not a good thing? Amen. God is the one that rewards faithful service. From the Lord you'll receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. And that's true. So when we go through and we're called to submit, and this is true also for wives, so many of the husbands, but there are times when I'm sure that wives don't particularly like that. I've talked to people several times about those kinds of things. They don't think like that. But it doesn't matter. The Lord didn't say if you like to do it, do it. He says do it. You belong to him. You do what he asks you to do. One more verse in First Timothy, which is another verse talking about Christian slaves showing honor. It says, all who are under the yoke as slaves are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. Show honor to those that God in his providence has placed over you. And I think that, that it's true in any area where you have an area that we submit. We submit to those that are over us, and we do it uh, with respect and honor to those that are over us for Jesus' sake, to honor him put him first. Again, it's not always easy, but that's what he says. He's worthy of all honor so that the name of God and our doctrine, our teaching, will not be spoken against. That's what we want. We don't want to give a bad name to the Lord. We don't want to give a bad name and have people say, well, he's a Christian. What do you expect? I've heard people say things like that about leaving tips in restaurants. That, that people that leave the worst tips are Christians. I don't know if that's true or not, but it's bad if that is the case. We should be faithful to give a good tip to those that wait on us. Especially if we're going to leave a track. That's just kind of crazy. And so um, he says, Masters, um, do not be disrespectful um, because they are brothers if your masters are Christians, but they, you must serve them all the more because those who partake of the benefit are believers and they're beloved. They're, they're brothers. And so you want to be faithful to those who are masters over. So the issue here, the first issue with this first area is that all believers. All slaves and believers are to be submissive to their masters, uh, their supervisors, their employers, whatever. Uh, and the command is all inclusive. I want you to notice one other part of that verse before we move on. He said, bond slaves be subject to their own masters in everything. <laughs> Which is a rub. I, I will say that if we are told to to say or do something that we know is clearly a violation of scripture, then I think we can say we need to obey God rather than man. For example, just I'm trying to think of an example, if your boss phone rings and you pick up the phone and it's the guy from the bank, he said, I need to speak to Mr. So-and-so, your boss, please. So I need to talk to him. He said, I know his papers or whatever. And so you say, wait just a minute and you tell your boss, so-and-so on the bank wants to talk to you. And he says, tell him I'm not there. Well, you don't want to lie and say he's not there. So what I would do is I would say, well, he just told me to tell you he's not here. <laughs> and you told the truth, and yet you've done that. But you can't just go up and lie and say he's not here if he's here. You know what I'm saying. Say he's not available. Yeah, yeah. Say, no, that's good. He's not available. That's a good point. That's happening, right? All right. So uh, anyway, this is, this is the issue. First issue. Yeah, first issue is that we are to be in submission to uh, our masters. The second area he calls it be well pleasing or being faithful to please. The word well pleasing there carries the idea of being 
uh, acceptable or pleasing. Um, let me take a moment to stress this because I think this is important. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I get eight, eight references other than our text in which well-pleasing is used in the New Testament. Uh, it's used twice in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, which is acceptable or well-pleasing, notice, to God. All right, so this is acceptable. This is a well-pleasing, that's a pleasing issue to God, which is, is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, and here's the word again, acceptable or well-pleasing and perfect. And in that context, it's well-pleasing and perfect before God. Again, it's well-pleasing to God. Romans 14, 8, for, we, for he who is in this way serves Christ is acceptable or well-pleasing to God and approved by men. Again, the verse has to do with someone being well-pleasing or acceptable to God. Second Corinthians 5, 9, therefore we also have as our ambition, whether at home or at absent, to be, talking about absence in the body, to be well-pleasing to him, to God. Again, this verse talks about being pleasing, well-pleasing to God. Philippians 4, 18, same thing. We have uh, I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am empty. I am a, I am amply rather supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing or acceptable to God. There is the word. In Colossians 3.20, children, obey your parents and everything, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Again, is well-pleasing or acceptable, something that's acceptable to the Lord. Finally, Hebrews 13, 21. How now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is well-pleasing or acceptable in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. All of the references here, and I read them so you can see it, all the references have to do with something that is well-pleasing to God. The only exception is the verse that we have in our text here, where he says we are in everything be well-pleasing, and he doesn't tell us to who it is to be well-pleasing to, but in the context and in lieu of the fact that every other reference has to do with being well-pleasing to God, I think that that's the right interpretation here, that when he talks about being well-pleasing here, he's talking about us being well-pleasing um, to the Lord, to please him. All of us then in this context as slaves, as believers in society, as workers or employees, uh, as those who are submissive, we are to be doing these things with the intention of being well-pleasing or acceptable before God. There is a motive behind our compliance when the Lord tells us to be in submission and to work to to cooperate with our employee or cooperate with our master or do what is right and do it heartily and do it showing honor to those over us there is a motive behind it and the motive here is that we might be well pleasing or acceptable before god so do you think about your life is about trying to be well pleasing and acceptable before god you know it's really important 
I don't always think about that. I try to go, many times I'll go through life and I'll think of what I want to do, what's pleasing to me. That's the wrong motive. That's the wrong, I'm getting up on the wrong side of the issue there. We want to do what's what we can to be well-pleasing, honoring to the Lord. He is the reason that we're doing what we're doing. And that's, I think that's the big point. All right, let's move from well-pleasing to not argumentative. Um, the idea, uh, the word is anti-lego, made up of anti, which is against lego, to speak. So it has to do with not argumentative means to speak against there. This is the opposite of, if you will, of submission. The word addresses the issue, running the mouth, something that I know what, what it's like I do there, of complaining. But this running of the mouth and complaining is generally disagreeable. That's kind of the, the thrust behind it. It's a disagreeable uh, complaining. Uh, it's used several times. Let me give you a couple of verses where this word is used so you can get an idea. Uh, in Paul in Romans chapter 10, when he's quoting from Isaiah, who is talking about Israel's rebellion, says in Romans 10, 21, but as for Israel, he, that is the Lord, says, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and, here's the word, obstinate people. That's not a compliment. That's just a way of, of saying that these people are always complaining. They are hard-hearted. They are uh, just continually complaining. Isn't is that? Do you, if you read the Old Testament, you should read it. Read the Bible every year. But if you read through the Old Testament, one of the things that stands out over and over and over and over again is how much grumbling the nation of Israel did. They were continually grumbling about every every time something didn't happen the way that they wanted it, the way they thought it should happen, the immediate response was, well, I wish we were back in Egypt. I wish we could go back where we had leeches or whatever we could do. I wish we could, I'm tired of this slop that we have here. Why can't we go back and we jump on Moses for bringing us out here? You brought us out here and did these kind of things. They were always complaining. And that's what he's saying here, that this is a, this is a bad thing. God is tired of that. And we shouldn't, we shouldn't be like that. And that's what he's saying, he's talking about here. In Titus 1.9, in our book of Titus, here we back up to chapter 1, where Titus, where Paul is talking to Titus about the responsibilities of an overseer. And he says there that the overseer is holding, has a responsibility of holding fast a faithful word. We've, we've gone over this verse several times. The overseer is, is responsible holding fast a faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able to do two things. Number one, to exhort with sound doctrine, and number two, to refute those who are, and here's the word, complaining or contradicting. To be able to refute that with the word, to be able to bring that to pass and to stop that nonsense, because complaining is a sin. And, and we can all do it. It's, it's easy to run them out. And easy to be to have that attitude of we complaining about this and we complaining about that and we complaining about that. And some people, and I've seen that. Now we don't have the real problem with the business meetings now, but we used to have business meetings. And some people, you could no matter what your idea was, they could immediately come up with reasons why we shouldn't do that. And you know, it's good to analyze the things. It's good to see what things are and to see all the sides and to be able to express your opinion. But to be always negative. Bible talks about those that are divisive. Be careful. We don't want to do that. Um, Paul, on his first missionary journey, 
Paul and Barnabas were going out. This was when he was up in Antioch of Pisidia. We're going out as they were going out after preaching. Uh, the people kept begging Paul and them um, that the things might be spoken to them next Sabbath. They might come back the next Sabbath and preach to them. And now when the meeting in the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, uh, who were speaking to them, and they were urging them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began, and here's the word, contradicting the things spoken by Paul and the blasphemy. The, the issue here in this particular point here is that some people are so self-centered and self-elevating, and they are, they're, they are critical and divisive um, in the things of the Lord. They're just continually bringing in all kinds of criticism and complaints. God's people are not to be complainers without substance. I mean, if there's, if there's real issues, then that's a good thing to do. It's a good thing to bring it up. But just to do it, just to do it, is, is, a, is a sin. And it's a serious thing. So you, And that, that's, that's one of the big sins of Israel, that they when they were coming out of Egypt, over and over and over and over again, they were complaining about different things. Every time something happened that didn't go the way they wanted, they were complaining and bickering and creating a problem for Moses. Hmm. Um, the next one, after well-pleasing and argumentative, is not pilfering. Uh, the phrase not pilfering is used in the, in the scriptures to warn about dishonesty. Uh, Weast, I think, it says that the, part of the definition would be to embezzle, to keep back something which belongs to another, to hold back that which belongs to another. The only place that that is used is twice in uh, verses 2 and 3 of Acts 5, and is used of Ananias and Sapphira. And you remember that Ananias and Sapphira in the church, they're in the early church, where things were kind of vocal and right opened up in front a lot. Uh, they said they sold some real estate some property. I don't know exactly the amount, but let's use the figure $10,000 to illustrate it for our purposes so we can understand it. We sold the property for $10,000, and then they came, but they only presented $5,000 to the church. Nothing wrong with that. What was wrong is they said we sold it for $5,000. Here's the $5,000. But in reality, they sold it for $10,000. They kept $5,000 for themselves. They held it back. Which in this way, in this verse, if this verse means what I think it's meaning here, it means they kept back what was due to the Lord. Because they claimed. And you understand, God is not judging them because they didn't give it all to the Lord. God is judging because they said they did, but they didn't. They lied. They're pretending to be real spiritual giants, giving everything to the Lord, when in reality they gave some to the Lord, and they kept some back to themselves. They wanted to appear that they had given a real sacrificial gift. When in, in truth, they were lying to the Lord. And so the God judged them. And twice in that verse, he says, verse uh, 5, Acts 5 says, And they kept back some of the price for himself and his wife, with his wife's full knowledge, and bringing a portion of it, he laid it down at the apostles' feet. But Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back, there's the word again, some of the price? Well, I guess the point here for us is that slaves... And the truth is that in the early church, 
A lot of slaves had positions of prominence and they had responsibilities. Some of them were in charge even of, of families and of businesses and stuff like that for their master. Some of them were very gifted and very astute and they had responsibility for a large sum and a lot of, lot of money and stuff. And what he's saying is that believers as, as well as slaves are to be honest. I think the word they're trustworthy is a good word to be honest and trustworthy with any funds to which they are entrusted. We should be that way. We should be honest. We should be forthright. We should be above board with the things that are entrusted to us. All of us are accountable for our honesty and integrity before the Lord. We should be men of our word. That doesn't mean a lot sometimes, but it should mean everything. I, I can tell you stories that I know of my family, so on my grandfather's side earlier, but I won't do that. But it was to, to be a man of his word was very, very important. It was more important than having a name on a dotted line was to give your word about something. Take it. This is what I, this is what I stand. This is where I mean, and I'll do it. And uh, that that's just really important. Last one uh, is to be. Um, he says not pilfering, but showing good faith, so that they will adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. Last one, showing good faith, um, could be translated trustworthy. The idea of we know what the word good is, and so that this is just something that is good that has the appearance of good. Um, the word faith there, Weist, and I like what Weist says about that. Weist says that faith is the persuasion, the confidence, or the conviction. Um, and in Titus, Weist suggests that it has the idea in this particular place of having faithfulness or sincerity or good faith. So that you could, you could say it's not, not pilfering, but uh, being faithful so that you will adorn the appearance of God. The context has to do with being dependable, reliable, trustworthy. Um, and notice, again, uh, the word showing there, which is a way of taking this commitment, this stand of being faithful, of being trustworthy, and letting that be a demonstration that is put out for others to see, that you are showing good faith, good faith, a, a pleasing faith, uh, an acceptable faith, acceptable trustworthiness, acceptable faithfulness, which is kind of the best idea for that. And let that be an example for others to follow. Your work ethic is very important. It's always on display. People judge your relationship with the Lord many times by your work ethic and how you do that. And that's just unfortunate, but it's the truth. How you live, people look, they look at your life, they look at your commitment, they look at what you say, they look at what you do, and they make judgment calls about your relationship with the Lord, about how you live. And a big part of that is how you live at work. And uh, so here's, and, and how you respond to people around you and the neighbors and stuff like that, and how you respond to those that you shop with and stuff. And so uh, people judge our relationship and our religion by that, and uh, they judge our faith by our reliability and how reliable we are. Are we living for Christ or are we living for self? Are we living for the moment or are we living for eternity? Are we living for pleasure or is our life given over to purpose? I, uh, I, I, I've not talked to a lot of people, but we have a guy at work that was just diagnosed with lymphoma John, I told him I'd be praying for him, and uh, you can pray for me as I talk to him, but I want to talk to him, and I've talked to others, I've talked to people recently about 
their lives and ask them about the purpose for their life. What is the purpose of their life? What is the purpose of your life? Why are you here? Why are you alive? Why does the Lord have you here? He can take you out just like that. Why does he have you here? Why does he have me here? What's the purpose? That's a good question to ask. That's a good question to ask. I, I would like to, to hear one day the Lord say, and this is the most unbelievable stretch of the imagination to hear it, but to hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I'd like to hear. And I know that's what you'd like to hear. It, it, it will cost something for that to be a reality. But the Lord is a shepherd, and he's the one that works in us, to build in us this commitment, this dedication, and this, this sacrifice that makes us pleasing to him. So here is this, this the, the passages that have to do with the things that uh, represent sound doctrine. He says, read the verse again and we'll be done. He says, but as for you, talking to Titus, speak the things which are suitable or fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may stimulate the younger women, stimulating the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, Workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the younger men to be sensible in all things, showing yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Urge bond slaves. To be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. To adorn means to set uh, before the watching eye in a way that makes it attractive, makes it uh, in, makes us desire it, makes us to see the value of it, to adorn it. That's what we want to do. We want our our lives to do that and cause us cause the word to bear real good fruit in us. Let's just close in prayer. Dear Father, we do thank you for these words. It is a standard that is very important. It is a standard that is high. Uh, we understand that we cannot do it ourselves. And uh, but we do ask that you would work in us that which is well pleasing in your sight that you would make of us instruments that bring honor and glory to your name. We were talking this morning about our Savior, and that not only did he pay the price of the penalty for our sin, but he also lived a life that would be the, the demonstration for us, the, the, the perfect submission that is given to replace our poor example of Christian living. And you talked, he talked about, I think Bate mentioned it, that the, that the life of obedience of our Savior was a perfect obedience in every respect. And it is that perfect compliance with your will and his life that is exchanged for our messed up life, the weak commitment that is there at times. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for doing that. I pray 
that you will be working in us to make us more and more compliant with your will and cooperative with you in our lives and help us to be pleasing more and more to you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your mercy and your grace. Thank you for working in us. Help us to, to be pleasing to you, I pray in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen.